Hello and welcome to another episode of the Floor Hotel Marketing Podcast. I'm joined today with Misha Bokikio. Hello, happy to be here again. And Phil Fariska. Hey everybody. And Pete DeMeo. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And today we're going to be talking about SEO, search engine optimization. We did a, an episode of this previously focusing on the top three ranking factors. Do you remember what that was, guys? Now one was content. Rank brain? Yep. And links. So it was links, content, and rank brain were the top three. But obviously a lot of people really can only focus on in marketing. They can, If you, you have access to the content management system, all you can really control is the content on your page. You know, a lot of times the technical stuff's left to your web developers or someone else within your organization. So today we're going to kind of dive a little deeper than we did before and talk about on-site page factors that are going to impact your ranking and, and hopefully get you more organic traffic. So before we do that, let's go into the news. So who has a good news article? I've got one. Misha, did you know that you need travel agents more than any other demographic because you're a millennial. I, I have no idea, but I'm so glad you let me know. Yeah, I know that you like people telling millennials what they need. <laughs> uh, and the American Society of Travel Agents also agrees. They had just released a report basically saying that the millennial group is far and above the number one group using travel agents today. And I find it pretty interesting because, you know, for so many years, travel agents have really, you know, gone to the wayside because people started using, obviously, OTAs, using online, using hotel websites. And it seems as if it's gotten to the point where when you take a big vacation, you like the ability to have someone hold your hand a little bit throughout that process. So we're kind of seeing a resurgence of travel agents, which I thought was pretty interesting. And that's something I think everyone should kind of keep an eye on because we may have to start dusting off our travel agent marketing plans that haven't been used in quite a while. And yeah. if you guys want to you know, read that study, it's at travelagentcentral.com. And we'll link to that in, in the podcast notes. But it's interesting, right? Because you, I've also seen millennials referred to recently as the net set, meaning the group of people that have grown up. You know, If you're a millennial, you have never lived in a world that didn't have the internet. So you're very technically savvy. You know how to use the internet. So on the surface, this seems kind of counterintuitive that these people that are more technical are less likely to or, or becoming more likely to use a real human being, especially considering the fact we know that a lot of millennials don't like to use the telephone to talk. You know, it's just something they're not used to doing. So and, that, and that's a big generalization, which I, I do dislike when people generalize millennials, but it seems to be a trend we see. But I've been reading a lot of articles recently about why, why this trend is happening, why are people in general using more uh, traditional travel agents. And it really comes down to why people are traveling, you know, and it, it comes down to, especially younger folks are looking for unique experiences and you need an expert to help you often find that. It's not something you can just go to Expedia and search for a hotel because you might not even know what destination you want to go to. So a travel agent can advise. When you go to them and say, I like kayaking and canyoning and whatever it is, that travel agent's going to have knowledge that you don't have that they can then help you build a better experience than a traditional OTA can. So I think that's probably why it's happening. But. I completely agree. I think you hit on two points that I was thinking of. The first one being, you know, we are very tech savvy, but now there's so much information online, it can be overwhelming. And you know, I feel like a lot of travel sites are almost a little bit biased. I mean, you look at a destination and you might see all of these things have really great reviews, but they might be, you know, the really touristy things to do. Or as Stuart pointed out, you might want a more, you know, authentic, authentic experience. I couldn't get the word out. But you're looking for something that's, you know, kind of off the map, something that's unique. And you're not that's not the stuff you're going to find on TripAdvisor or online. So having that person to kind of like point you in that direction and really help you out you know, I think that's something that I would be interested in. And, right. you know, I think it's not just millennials, but, you know, I think we are probably one of the largest groups now. So, I, you know, we haven't used it before. So I'm curious to see if, if this trend really picks up or if it kind of falls to the wayside. I, yeah. I, I think you will see that it's going to start picking up because, you know, if you go back to a couple episodes in the past, we talked about how hotels should be marketing experiences, not just a place to stay. And as everyone's vacation time gets more constrained and we have more stuff to worry about, 
being able to have someone show us how we can do something that's atypical for a vacation and have more of an experience to take home with us, that's going to become more and more important. Yeah, and I, I agree with what you said, Misha. I don't think it is just millennials. I think it just shows up more in millennials, especially when you're polling. But, uh, you know, we, we know the boomers, are, there's this whole expansion into soft adventure kind of vacations mm-hmm. and people that are, you know, getting near the retirement age or already retired, but they're, they're still active and they're still fit and they want to do stuff that they've just never had an opportunity to do before now, whether that's, you know, climbing rope courses in trees or, you know, zip lining or whatever it is. They're looking for experiences as well. So that, I think those little boutique uh, properties that have a unique experience, you know, we're working with uh, a couple now that, you know, are really focused on yoga and health and wellness. And it's more of an experience than just a place to sleep. And I think that you're going to need travel agents to help you find those experiences. Mm-hmm. All right. So what's next? Um, I'll go next. I have, uh, have a new story here that all brands are now able to apply for a verified Twitter account. Um, you've probably seen these if you've been on Twitter before. It's a little blue check mark next to a username that just kind of verifies that that person is who they say they are, and um, you know it's, it makes it makes it a little more authentic. But this was reserved for you know huge brands, famous people, things like that in the past. But now anybody's allowed to go ahead and apply for it. It's pretty simple. It's just filling out a form. You need to verify verify your phone number, email address, bio, profile photo, things like that. Um, you may not get accepted right away, but 30 days later, you can apply again. What's the authentication process? Do they send a postcard or phone call like Google does? Or? It just says to fill out the form. Okay. I haven't gone through it for myself yet or for any of my specific brands. Cause this was just brought up to me the other day that this is even a possibility. Okay. So I think it's pretty cool um, for, for brands, especially if you, if you have anybody who is a similar brand to you or a similar name, this is probably... Pretty, probably pretty helpful. Yeah, that's neat. Right. It used to be a pretty difficult process, too. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like you said, it was really, really reserved. You had to be someone of importance in some way, you know, either a big brand or a celebrity or politician or something. Yeah, so if you're a hotel, get your verified brand now. Yeah, yeah, do it early. All right, Misha, what's next? So I found a really interesting article on NewYorkTimes.com. And it was about a Westin Hotel in Fort Lauderdale. And the article itself kind of tells a story um, about a guy who lives nearby to the Westin Hotel. And he goes there several times a week, but he never actually has stayed at the hotel. And so the article works through um, this national running concierge service that Westin has. And that many other brands are starting to pick up on running clubs or whether it's yoga or kind of just these really niche specific amenities and they're trying not only to you know make it for the guests that are staying there you know so if you're a runner which there are tons of runners and you're traveling you know you can join this running club at any western location but they're also bringing in um, a little bit of authenticity while incorporating the local market which I thought was really cool so this guy that lives by this hotel found out about this running club he participates in it every week he gets to meet new people and the way this hotel runs it is they let's they meet up two times a week and they do a short five mile run and then they have a little happy hour afterwards at the hotel. So I thought it was really cool, you know, a way to get the local community involved, you know, kind of give people who are traveling maybe a little sense of getting to meet some locals and, you know, have a little happy hour afterwards. And it benefits the hotel as well because you're generating revenue from that. Right. And those things it's a differentiator, right? If you're going to stay in that city You'll look, hey, you know, is there any running clubs? Now that that's kind of in your frame of mind, you might go look for something like that. Well, the cool thing is also when we think about people going for an experience versus just a place to stay, you know, what a great way to view a city that you're not used to. I mean, think of like Charleston, South Carolina. If you're staying, you know, at a hotel there to be able to put on your shoes and take a 5K run, you know, around the city. I mean, how awesome would that be to see it from a perspective that you would never see it otherwise? Yeah, and experience it with locals as right. well that can kind of show you the, the ins and outs. I think it's good for a lot of reasons. I mean, one, you touched on the incremental revenue. You know, every hotel is looking to increase and find new revenue streams. So getting people that aren't staying there on property to drink at the bar or eat at the restaurant, I think it's always a good idea. Uh, but then tapping into a local market, because when locals uh, have an affinity with your property, when they have people coming to stay, what's the first place they're going to recommend? And that, you know, everyone that lives, especially in a destination, gets asked often, 
where should I stay, right? So now you've got people, more people being advocates for your brand. And then, like you said, if, if you tap into a specific market like runners, who are very, it's a very tight knit community and they all have something in common. So me being someone that runs and travels a lot, would love the opportunity when I go to a destination to meet other like-minded individuals and find some familiarity when I'm traveling because it can be a lonely existence when you're traveling to shows, right? So I think it, it kind of, it's a trifecta there of positive things and then obviously you get articles written about you like Weston is as well. So there's a lot of good things coming from it. Good find. I didn't read that article, make sure it's a good one. So the other news item this week, which is a pretty big deal, uh, a humongous deal, one might say, is that Verizon bought, they closed on the deal with to buy Yahoo. And, uh, I mean, it's been talked about for a while, but what do you guys think, how do you think this is going to shake out? You know, Verizon bought AOL, what, a year or so ago? Now they're buying Yahoo and kind of rolling those AOL and Yahoo together, it sounds like. So what does this mean for, for Yahoo, who obviously has the search engine, most famously, email, they also own what Flickr, Tumblr. Mm -hmm. They've got some assets in China. You know, they're, they're a huge company that sees themselves as a media company. You think Verizon sees them as a media company, or, or what? Is, what does this really mean for the future of Yahoo? I would think so. I mean, they've, in the past few years, in my eyes, they've they've been transitioning more towards a news type network. So maybe that maybe that was the idea of of Verizon picking that up. Like for me, when I think of Verizon, all I immediately think of is phones. So, I mean, this is just going to put them in a completely different space. So I'm really interested to see what they do with this acquisition. Well, they also provide you know, digital cable and things like that, too. Yeah, it's connectivity and communication. And then they also have, you know, they are a media company as well because they, they have you know, certain sport things that are exclusive on the Verizon phones and stuff like that. So uh, it's a content thing. But it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I think I've always traditionally thought of Yahoo as a technology company. You know, it's really only in the last two or three years with things like um, bringing on Katie Couric, you know, for astronomical amounts of money and really focus on their, their media side that I've thought of them as a media company. But it sounds like reading a lot on this acquisition that they've internally viewed themselves, at least the, the, the top level management has viewed them as a media company for a long time. I don't know if that's right, because if you look at where they were in the dot-com heyday, when they were valued at like $100 million back when they were really competing neck and neck with Google, they were, you know, they, they've, they've fallen so far. I mean, what was this? I mean, this is about $4 billion acquisition. $4.8 yeah. billion. You know, billion down from $100 million only a decade ago. You know, so they've lost so much value. One might suggest that they, they really gone down the wrong path you yeah know, they had yeah. a lot of potential they dominated the search realm for a long time they've allowed google to overtake them to the point where now they only have what 12 percent of the search market you know they're third behind google and bing and it's likely less at this point yeah uh, to your point what you were just saying the chart i'm looking at here says in february 2008 yahoo rejected a microsoft offer for 45 billion and they just sold for 4.8 yeah definitely missed the boat on that one yeah. But I mean, if you look at their their stock prices, I mean, everybody was doing fantastic in '99. They were over one hundred and ten dollars a share. They fell down to almost nothing, and you know, since really '09, they've really been kind of clawing back up there. I mean, it's nowhere near what it was, but you know, they're around forty five bucks a share, which you know, it's, they're heading in the right direction. So you wonder if Verizon sees them as cheap right now, which yeah, but it, I mean, it. it They've just squandered an opportunity, in my opinion, because if you look at where their revenue is coming from today, it's not their search assets. You know, it's their acquisitions in China. So, like, what? How? How do you still? And they still have a lot of Yahoo.com email addresses. A lot of people still go to their homepage when they log onto the internet. You know, and yet they somehow don't haven't figured out how to monetize that. Even with you know, they've created their new ad platform, um, Gemini. Gemini. Um, but it just hasn't really taken off. But I, I don't know. I just it'll be it'll be interesting to see and how Yahoo and AOL end up working. You know, is that going to be one entity now, or do they keep them separate? I, I don't know. But yeah, I always wonder what the integrations with the Verizon phone service will be. You know, are mm -hmm. they looking for some way to have a proprietary 
you know, default search type system on the individual phones as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, definitely watch this space. What it means, uh, we can't really say at this point because no one's really divulged what their plans, Verizon's plans are. But certainly there's an op opportunity if they've got this media asset and they've got digital distribution, especially on mobile, which we know is increasing tremendously. You know, does it offer new ad opportunities for hotels? Probably so. So probably worth experimenting with Gemini. And we were talking about, you know, what Verizon will do with Yahoo. And you can also take a look at, you know, what's Yahoo going to do with what they've kept. They got to keep um, Alibaba and Yahoo Japan. They're going to spin that into their own yet-to-be-named publicly traded company. But, you know, it's kind of, kind of exciting to see what they might do with that as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's jump into our main topic, which is... Uh, SEO and on-page factors. So, what I, you know, we've, we've had a couple of long episodes. We don't want to spend a whole lot of time on each one of these. We'll go through them pretty quickly. But if you go to our website, fueltravel.com slash podcast, and you can click on episode 16, you will get the full uh, podcast notes. And in there, there's a link to a really, really cool uh, blog post that Misha wrote, which has this stuff fleshed out more. And on there too, there's a checklist that you can download. It's a it's a Google Doc checklist, which you can download and make a copy for your own business. And it just gives you a rundown of all the things you really need to be paying attention to from an SEO perspective. So you can use that internally. It's, it's a simplified version of what we use here internally for our clients, but you can use that yourself. So go to fueltravel.com slash podcast, click on episode 16. You can get both that uh, link to the blog that Misha did and the checklist that Phil did. Those are really cool and they're kind of supplements to this content that we're going to be talking about. So guys, we talked about earlier about on-page being important, right? Content is one of the biggest factors. So let's break that down a little bit. Let's assume you've got a gazillion quality links already that rank brain's taking along doing its magical thing. Let's really focus on how can we squeeze this lemon a little better, get a little more juice out of it, and get a little higher ranking by optimizing our website. So we're going to talk about this today, not from a site-specific, like a holistic site perspective, but just a single-page perspective, uh, just because I think that's simpler to digest. So where do we start? So what are the what are some of the things, what is the first thing we look at when we're talking about on-page? So the first thing that we have on our list, and it's certainly a very important thing, is canonical tag. So this refers to a concept called canonicalization, which is took me like at least two years to learn how to pronounce correctly. <laughs> um, but in the blog, we do have some resources where you can learn more about it and how it works. The short of it is that canonicalization is the process of picking the best URL when there are several choices. And in there, we link to a Moz article that kind of gives a really good example of when you might come across this. So um, let's say, for example, if you are a retail site and you have um, a page about blue widgets and then you have a URL parameter for color equals blue or color equals white. And you this could easily create several pages that are essentially about the same thing. So what you would do is put a canonical tag on your main widget page and send all of the value about widgets to that page. Right. Does that make sense for everybody here? It just kind of makes, takes all these pieces of content that are pretty much exactly the same and telling search engines, these are all essentially one piece. It's, it's just a way for, for crawlers to read it a little easier. Yeah, and it, it can also be on a more simple form. You know, a lot of pages... And this isn't such a problem today as it used to be. I still see it here and there. It's one of the first things I do when, when we get a new client I look at is, does your site load as, say, my it's Metropolitan Hotel is my domain name, right? Does it load as metropolitanhotel.com and www.metropolitanhotel.com separately? If I type those in, does, does it switch between the two or does it stay the same? Does the www always appear or does it not? Because when it doesn't, then Google's going to see those two pages as separate pages in the index. And you always want them to be seen as the same. So one way to do it is on the, on the server side, if you're technical, you can get them to redirect. But the other way to do it is what Visa is saying, which is the call tag and say, both of these are really the same page. And then it can go beyond that. If I had slash index.html, slash default.html that shows up or doesn't show up, it loads both ways, I can canonicalize them too. And to take that a little further on the Google side, you can also do that within Webmaster Tools. 
you can identify whether you want the site to be crawled with www or without. Yeah, and you know this kind of seems like getting a little bit into the weeds, but it is such an important step of the process because you're going to spend so much time building content by fracturing the value of that content among so many different pages. You're doing a lot of work for not necessarily any gain until you put this in place. So, you know, not necessarily for, you know, a hotel you're listening to this podcast. This is what you want to take to your web team and say, please make sure this stuff is all squared away. And another example to put something in a little bit more of a hotel mindset, um, if you have, let's say, a travel portal site for your destination and you have an event speed there, but you also perhaps want to feature specific events on your individual hotels that are in that location, if your system can handle this, you can filter those events to show up on your hotel website, but to avoid perhaps issues of duplicate content, you could place the canonical tag on your portal site so that gets all the original credit for having that content, but your hotel site and your guests still get the benefit of being able to feature events. Yeah. Another way of place I've seen canonical issues is if you have a booking engine that's separate from your website, but it's getting indexed. So say you have your, on your main website, you have an accommodation page and it lists your two-bedroom oceanfront condo, right? And then on your booking engine, it also has a page which has a description for your two-bedroom oceanfront condo. Those are essentially the same content from the consumer perspective. The description is the same. The photos are the same. They're just in two different URLs. So that's another case where you may want to consider canonicalizing that to the, to the version that's actually on your website and not on your booking engine. Great example. All right, so what's next? We talked about canonicalization. We pronounced it flawlessly, which I think was the biggest concern I had. <laughs> But what's next? Uh, next would be URL structure. Um, so essentially URL structure just comes from not having too much extra junk within your within your uh, URLs, silly silly page naming and, and things of that nature. But a clean URL structure isn't isn't too hard to do for most hotel sites because they don't have a ton of pages. But it is something that you know we definitely pay attention to when we build our websites here at Fuel. Yeah, I think there's two things I, I consider when I'm looking at the URL structure. One is is to be semantically relevant, right? To use words and not abbreviations. So, for example, if I have a section called accommodations, I'm not going to say metropolitanhotel.com slash acom. I'm going to use slash accommodations or slash rooms, whatever the nomenclature is that I'm going to use. And the other thing is I like to group content into buckets of relevancy as well. So if, for example, I have seven different room pages or seven different amenities pages, I want them to be under a collection, so slash amenities, slash you know, indoor pool, slash outdoor pool. So I try to organize the, the, the meaning of my content through URL. But I always also try to minimize the number of subfolders or slashes that I have because we know that the closer to the root of the domain, the more importance that keyword has, right? So if I'm like slash accommodations, slash one bedroom, slash condos, slash oceanfront, slash something, that's less useful for the search engine. So you, you want to have one or two subfolders at most, but use it to bucket your and group your content. And this is super important. If your hotel is using a WordPress-based site, many times you know, WordPress is going to default to what they call their plain URL structure. So it'll be your hotel name slash question mark P equals one, two, three for any given page, making sure that you have something that makes sense to you know, search engine. You know, so that's, that's a pretty easy setting change within your WordPress admin. But as you're getting your site built, or even if it's already built, making sure you go in there and apply that setting so it becomes hotel name slash accommodations. And that makes more sense whatever. for a user too, right? If you're sitting there and you have a few tabs open and you have the two-bedroom hotel page up, you can see right there in the URL, oh, this was the two-bedroom hotel right. page. You know, it's not XYZ523. Right. It's, it obviously makes sense <clears throat> for everybody. Yeah, if you can't read your URL and it makes sense, you know, in terms of hierarchy and semantics of where you are on the site, then, then it's not correct. You need to reevaluate that. And, and, and it's really not hard to do these days, especially if you're using a, a CMS like WordPress where it allows you to kind of define your own. And then beyond that, beyond just the, the folder structure, the name of the file itself. So if you're, say, creating a blog post, make sure that the naming of the blog post contains the keywords that you're targeting as well. Right. 
that actually brings us to the next one, which is title tags. This is the, <clears throat> I guess, probably one of the very first things oh, that was ever optimized, important. you know, you know, the, in the Stone Age days of, you know, <laughs> SEO. But making sure the title tag, which is typically in the WordPress world, the, the name of your, your page, uh, it can vary based on, on platform. But making sure that the title of the page that the user is on or the search engine is indexing is relevant, has the keyword defined within it, and, you know, is very clear and to the point. And remember, this is, this is your billboard. This is what people see when they, you know, type in the keyword you're targeting. The first thing they're going to see is that giant blue line of text that, that, that is the head of your list. You're talking about on the search engine. On the search right. engine, so in a yeah. Google search. So, if, you know, if you search hotels in Sacramento and your site is serving for hotels in Sacramento, whatever your title tag is, is going to show right there in the search results. So it needs to be compelling as well. Yeah, it needs see, to be something people want to click on. Right. Yeah, you see people screw that up so often where they put mm -hmm. the name of this page is 2BR dash. OF for Oceanfront, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. unit one, two, three. That is useless. That's yeah. not helpful. Or, or the other mistake <clears throat> you see a lot is people just try to keyword stuff the title. So it's like hotel in Austin is the first thing you see on every page, you know, because you're trying to target Austin hotels or something like that. Or it's brand name, pipe, Austin, pipe, hotels, slash resorts, pipe, two bedroom. Right, you you got to get the meaning, what the actual page is about, at the front of the title tag. Always, if you want to put the property name or other keywords further down, that's fine. But you want to start with what is the purpose of this page? What are the keywords I'm really targeting on this particular page, not my site overall? And, and that applies to search engines as well, because as they crawl the page and they come across the title tag, mm -hmm. that's what you're telling the search engine your page is about. That's that's how they understand title tags. So it's, it's so important on so many levels. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the conventional wisdom is that the title tag from a keyword perspective, you know, we'll talk about keywords in a second, but keywords need to be throughout every the page, whatever you're targeting for that page, those keywords need to be throughout it. Title tag is probably the most important factor out of any other factor, even more than H1s and body content and anchor text. The title tag is probably the most important for keywords. For sure. And that leads to the other one that shows up, you know, Phil, you mentioned on the search results, when I type in my keyword, say I'm typing two bedroom um, condo in Austin, Texas, then what shows on the search results, the first thing is the title tag, and then under that is the meta description. Not to be confused with meta keywords, right? But the meta description is critical, again, for the same reason the title is, one, it gives search engines a, a, a semantic kind of basis for what the content's about. But two, it's a sales hook. It's what consumers see. So you want to make sure it's compelling, like Misha said, that it's enticing people to click on yours versus the, the other results that are showing. And I think there's a tiny asterisk that we should mention here. So we've talked about a lot about the implications on how this shows up in the search engine results page. Google does have the authority and often does change your title tag and meta description as far as how it appears in the search engine results page. So if you do happen to be, you know, searching for things that should pull up your hotel and you find something listed there that you did not write, don't freak out. Sometimes Google will, you know, rearrange words or put in something else that's on the page if it's more relevant to what people are searching to. Yeah, Google will do what they think is best for you, whether you think so or not. Yeah. Well, the good news is they've usually tested that, right? So I've seen clients that freak out about that. Their title tag is something very specific that they want, but Google's overwritten it, and now they want it back. And there's really no way to force Google to index what you have as a title tag. My advice is don't sweat it, because the reason Google's showing what they're showing is because they've tested it, and it works, and it works better, right? So one of the, the metric key metrics now when we're talking about things like rank brain is the click-through rate from the search engine results page. And your title tag and your meta description are the two biggest influencing factors on that click-through rate. So if Google says, you know what, this works better than what you actually have, doesn't mean you have to go change yours to what they have because there might be other value there. Don't sweat it, let it, let it ride because if you're still ranking number one or number two, you're good to go. All right, so next up is page speed. And this, this is site-wide, but you should look at this from every single page perspective on your website. And, and in the article that Misha wrote, there's a couple of links to some tools that can let you check your page speed. But 
essentially the faster your site loads, the better, right? And every page, the faster every page on your site loads, the better. And you can do that through caching, through offloading assets to a content delivery network, but ultimately don't bog down a page with a bunch of unnecessary stuff, right? Don't put a ton of video and images on there that don't, don't help the page just to put them on there. Keep it a streamlined. And then don't clutter up the site with a bunch of widgets and things that, that are not necessary. Keep it to the what's useful, what's helpful, what, what is needed, and then make sure from a technical perspective, everything server side is running well, which I hope, you know, usually that's your, your web team or your agency or whoever's doing that stuff. Yeah, and that affects, you know, how people interact with the site, your, you know, your click-through rate, your bounce rate. And those type of things as well. People come to your site and it's not loading. They're jumping right back to the mm -hmm. search engine to find someone else who will load. Which will eventually hurt your page or your website rank overall. For sure. Yeah. And, and the biggest, at least from my perspective, the biggest thing I see from a page speed perspective, this is something that either if you are the one managing the content on your website or you have someone else managing the content, it's image sizes. I can't tell you how many times we've had clients say, hey, my website seems to be running very slow, and then you notice that they have a 10 meg photo that's 6,000 pixels wide that they shrunk down to be 100 by 100. Taking the time to size images, making sure that your CMS is properly rendering images so you're not loading stuff that's irrelevant to, to a customer. So now we're talking, we're back to semantics again, and we talked about you know URL structure and things like that. But another part of semantics is organizing the content so that the header hierarchy it is makes sense, right? So every page should have one H1 tag. That H1 is header one. It means that this is the title of the page. This is the what the content is about. Often it's similar to your title tag, but then you can have H2s, H3s, H4s, which are basically saying here's the next level of importance on this, this site, right? So, for example, I could have a page that says uh, the amenities at the Metropolitan Hotel, and that's my H1 in Austin, Texas, and that could be my H1 tag, but then I could have an H2, which is water features, and then under that, H3s would be indoor pools, outdoor pools, uh, jacuzzis, and then I have another H2, which is uh, kid activities, you know, and so forth. So it's a way of organizing your content through header tags to make semantic sense, grouping the content for the consumer, but also so that the search engines can really understand how your content's organized. That's a good example. Yeah, I mean, header hierarchies, it's, it's really important. I mean, that's, it, it, out, it outlines a page for a search engine as it crawls through. It says, you know, it, in order of importance, and it's also in order of its its category as well. Very important stuff there. Make sure you keep uh, the keywords you're targeting in your header tags. Okay. Now this next one is something that is often overlooked, and yet I, I feel like has more significance than people realize. It's image alt text, right? Exactly. Uh, so image alt text is essentially a way to name your photo using keywords you're, it basically allows you to include more keywords on a page. It also allows those images to be found when people are searching for images of whatever keyword you include in that alt text. Yeah, and I would also include the image name itself. You know, don't name your image DCIM2418.jpg. Name it, you know, water activities or, you know, oceanfront outdoor pool. Right. And then your alt tag would be the beautiful oceanfront outdoor pool at such and such property to where it's helpful for a customer, but it does convey the, the actual purpose of that image from a search engine's perspective. Right, and all, all texts perform a couple of, they, were, they perform a couple of functions, right? Originally, they were created for screen readers. So visually impaired people that use screen readers that, that can't see the images, the alt text is what is read out loud to those visually impaired people because they can't see the image, right? So it has to be relevant. It has to be descriptive of what the image is about. But it also is used now by search engines to understand, again, using the word semantics, but understanding the meaning of the page. So you can not keyword stuff, but certainly include your target keywords in the image name, like Pete said, and the alt, the alt attribute within the image tag itself. And we actually have an entire blog dedicated 
to how you can write awesome alt image text. So be sure to check that out. We'll link that as well. Stuart wrote about that one. I think it was a couple months ago, but yeah. it was a it's while ago. It's probably over a year ago now because I kept getting that question about it's, it was when alt tags were kind of buzzing in the SEO world. People kept asking me. So yeah, we'll link to that as well. Again, you can get the show notes at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 16. So what's next? The next one is one of my new favorite things. Um, it's not necessarily new, but a lot more people are paying attention to it. And that is schema markup. And what this is, it is a code, um, a semantic vocabulary that you put on different elements on your website that helps search engines understand more about it and then feed that information to users via the search engine results page. So a few examples that we have used for hotel websites, there are some basic ones which are your business type or your organization name, so hotel, name of hotel, your phone number, your address, just the general business information. But there's also um, tons of other categories that you can look into. So you can mark up objects that are images on your website. You can mark up events that you have listed and mark those specifically as an event. You can mark up videos that are on your website that gives more information about the video. So there's reviews. a huge reviews. Reviews reviews a huge one. Yeah. So there's um, schema.org is a great place to get started and for you to kind of start, um, you know, looking at the different types, you know, talk to your developers about it. But the main benefit, you know, in my mind is that it really can change the way that your hotel and your information is presented on the search engine results page. So you bring up reviews, Phil. When you see, you know, those stars by your hotel name or on TripAdvisor or on other sites, you know, that's because those reviews are marked up. And that makes a huge difference seeing that on the, on the page. Yeah, I mean, directly it has an impact in terms of click-through rate, which is part of RankBrain. But also, I think indirectly, anytime Google recommends that you should do something, you should probably do it. They're, they're, either directly or indirectly, they're going to favor people that follow the rules. And schema is a rule that they've been really pushing hard. And the reason is that, that the web as we know it is is it's discombobulated. There's a lot of pages out there of content, right? But to really go to the next level with artificial intelligence, with voice activation, with all these smart devices, everything that's on the internet has to be an object. It has to be related in some way, right? So for example, if I'm talking about Barack Obama in an article and I somehow de designate that Barack Obama is a person, that's an object, right? And now Barack Obama is married to another object, a person, Michelle Obama, right? So now I can start seeing how things relate. You know, his occupation is president. That's another ob object. Here are past presidents. So you can start getting this map of content that relates to each other, right? So this, the schema.org is really a, a unified version of how to mark up content so that everyone on an equal playing field can say, this is what type of object this content refers to. Okay, this is a hotel. Hotels relate to reviews. They also relate to amenities, to accommodation types. So you can start saying anything you're talking about on your website, this is the type of object it is, and this is how it relates to each other. Kind of complicated, but super important as we move forward with technology, like I said, with voice activation and things like that, which is certainly where we're going. Right, and it's kind of like, you know, you mark up, let's take a simple one, uh, a location. You give your address, you give the latitude, longitude, and then you go ahead and ask your phone directions to whatever. The way it knows to find that is through the schema stuff. Exactly. And in all those cases, it's giving you, the hotelier, the opportunity to have more real estate on the search engine results page. You know, every time you code your site properly, you have that proper schema markup, you're going to see reviews for your property. You're going to see amenities or whatever else it might be that got Photos, marked video up. thumbnails. There's a lot right. of stuff. And if you're doing that and your competitors are not, it really does give you a leg up on the search. Yeah, so we've been doing this a lot for probably, I'd say, a year and a half, two years now. We've really been encouraging all our clients to put schema on their site or we'll put it on there for them if they're under an SEO contract. But we have seen a direct correlation between sites that put schema on and their ranking. In every case that we've added schema to a site, we've seen a boost in organic search ranking. You know, whether that's directly or indirectly, because what Pete's saying, you got more search real estate. I don't know. But the reality is, if you put schema on your site, you will increase in ranking. And I know Misha mentioned it, but 
use schemas from schema.org. That's the preferred schema of Google and most other major search engines. So use that one. And I will, you know, add another asterisk in here. So Google Webmaster Tools does have a highlighter tool that a lot of people will use in lieu of taking the time to have a developer implement the proper codes. In their mind, it's, you know, not having to put extra work on the developers. It saves a little bit of time. The caveat there is that it can be tricky to use and you can mess up some stuff if you're not highlighting things prop properly. So that could go down a totally wrong path. And then also it only works for Google. So if you're taking the time to do that in the Google search console, it's only going to work for that one search engine. So if you take the time, have somebody place it, you know, site wide, it's going to be recognized with other search engines as well. So that's why we recommend going that route. Yeah, and if you need help with that, just give us a shout. Go to our site and just submit a contact us request. We'll be glad to you know, point you in the right direction of how to get started on that. But all right, what's next? We should have probably start it with this one. Yeah, this is probably the, the most <laughs> important thing when you're starting SEO for, for anything, and especially hotel sites. Um, keywords. Choosing the proper keywords for your for your site and you know, being able to being able to compete on certain keywords and not not getting out of out of uh, out of your realm there. But yeah, and we could talk about this a lot, right? Let's focus on this conversation from the perspective of a single page, right? So, how should someone approach it from a single page perspective when they're selecting keywords? I, I, for me, I don't really ever like to go more than two to three keywords that I target per page, and and you really. It, and this goes along with your page title. What's your page about? What are people searching for that would put them on that page? Then those are the type of keywords you target. Um, those are the type of things you include in your title tag and, and, and in your URL structure and, and things like that. Right. And one of the mistakes I see a lot of people make is they use jargon versus the common conventional nomenclature, right? So in I'll give a great example because we learned this the hard way, right? In the accommodation industry, we tend to refer to specials and deals as, or, or packages and deals as specials. And that seems to be how our clients refer to them. But if you look, if you go use the tools that we link to in Misha's article to look at, say, keyword volume and stuff like that, consumers don't use that term. They use the term deals. Right, so when you're targeting, when you're selecting the keywords to target, make sure you're using keywords that consumers use, not what you think consumers should use because you're in the industry and using jargon. If you need, if you need some help on keyword research, by the way, I just wrote a blog on this a couple weeks ago about why proper keyword research is so important for your hotel. So you can jump into our yeah, We'll link to that from the show notes too as well, Phil. But just be careful. You know, It's easy to make an assumption of how people think. But there's so many free tools out there that you can use to verify your assumptions or, or in some case, disprove your assumptions. And then once you kind of go get your keyword figured out, the next step is the content optimizations. How do you integrate that in you know, right. with your overall strategy? Yes, I think there's you know several things to look at, even on just a specific page. So the amount of content, you know, if you've got an individual rooms page, how much information do you really need on that versus if you have you know, a page that kind of summarizes all of your amenities? So looking at what's appropriate, you know, do you have enough, do you have too little? Also looking at, like we just talked about, keyword targeting, making sure that you're not overdoing it, keyword stuffing, making sure that you're using you know, the terms that people are actually looking for and searching for is going to be important. And then also the types of content you have on a page. So this could be... Um, text content or written content. This could be um, image-based content. This could be video content. So looking to see what makes sense. You know, are people looking for a room tour? Are they really, are they looking for if it's something really specific and they're going to want to read a little bit more about it? So taking that into consideration as well. And especially for hotels, images, so important for selling a property. So making sure that, you know, you have those on the page and that they're really high quality. Right. Yeah, a lot of people get bogged down with the, the frequency of the keywords showing up and the how many words should I have on a page and stuff like that. Forget all that nonsense. It really is not relevant. You need to look at every page from the perspective of the consumer and say, does this page answer the question the consumer has or does it provide the amount of information and the relevant information that's going to be helpful and useful to them at this point in whatever the journey is they're taking, right? So don't worry about if, if your article is 200 words long or a thousand words long 
that's not going to impact your search ranking. What's going to impact it is the quality of the page. Is it helping people? Are people engaging with it? Are they using it? Are they continuing through the conversion funnel? Yeah, and I think bringing up the conversion funnel is really important too because, you know, at every page you have to look at, okay, what do you want people to do on this page? Is it an informative page? You know, do you want them to sign up for an email newsletter? Do you want them to move into the booking process if that's appropriate? So looking, you know, not forcing people straight into sales, but, you know, what's appropriate at that level and what can you kind of do to kind of nudge them forward? Yeah, and this goes beyond search optimization. This just goes into site optimization overall. If someone's reading an article about, you know, the great deals for this fall, you need to make sure you're putting that person into the conversion funnel and showing them specific deals. If they're reading an article about events, maybe showing them more events at the end of an article would make a lot of sense. Or, make, or how to buy the tickets. You know, or exactly. Here's how to book during that stay. Yeah, you got to take advantage of the fact that you have successfully convinced someone to scroll down to the bottom of the page or wherever they've gotten to the end of it and get them to that next step. Yeah, always ask that question, what next? Yeah. What, what do they need to do now? In the example of the specials, you're telling them about the special, but give them the opportunity to now book that special right there. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in the case of hotels specifically, none of us are in the content business. Our job is to provide content so that they book a hotel room. You know, so don't think that, oh, this is a perfect article, this is a perfect blog post, and don't judge your success as, look how great this article did in terms of, you know, page views or getting indexed. Look at how it's performed in terms of, you know, revenue generated. Yeah. Or, or in some cases, it's not, you, you don't close the deal straight away, right? But you could get an email sign up yeah. or a social follow or something else that's tangible that then is pushing them down the funnel a little further to get them to conversion. Yeah. But always, always think about that. So yeah, guys. I mean that that's kind of the on-page stuff we wanted to talk about today. Uh, we did have a question as well related to SEO, which kind of inspired this. Yeah, Darren B asked us, "What are the biggest SEO and SEO mistakes that hotels make?" Guys, what about you? I mean, I see a lot, but <laughs> what what are some of the big ones you guys see? I feel like, and this perhaps might be too broad, but from what I see and what I hear from our clients is just overthinking it, mm -hmm. you know, just really like stressing out about like what a title tag should be or how many times a keyword should be on a certain page. You know, it needs to be in logical and it needs to make sense, but it needs to be natural. You know, how would pe how would a person use this page? That's how you need to approach this. Yeah. You need to be able to influence them. Like we were talking about with page titles earlier when they hit that search results page. Yeah. Instead of having, is for example, um, you know, your title tag, you know, name of hotel slash, you know, water park, the best, in, maybe try, you know, the best water park in Austin. Yeah. You know, you can play around with it, experiment with it. It's not like having a title tag that, you know, experimenting is going to get you kicked off of Google. You know, this is just a time for you to showcase your hotel and just be logical and natural about it. I think that's one of the things I see is just really stressing out about and overthinking things. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I, and first of all, let's just go ahead and get out any black hat type stuff. You know, sure. so, you know, keyword stuffing or doing, you know, anything that's you know, not ethical is going to get you dinged for sure. But one thing I see that hotels constantly do is being upset because they feel they deserve to be ranked for a specific term. Like, I deserve to be ranked number one for my hotel name. Well, you don't deserve to be ranked for anything. Google's going to rank you where you deserve to be ranked. So if you find that you're constantly not showing up where you feel like you deserve to be ranked, you know, don't be upset with Google. Look at your site and say, okay, who are the top, what can I do to beat the number one result in Google for my hotel brand? If it's TripAdvisor, that's because TripAdvisor in Google's eyes and more likely the customer's eyes is a better resource about your property than you are. So you need to you know, turn the table on that and make your site the authority. Yeah, good point, Pete. Yeah, and kind of building off of that briefly, just search your intent too, so important. So just, you know, being able to, you know, whether it's us with our clients or you with your manager, you know, kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, maybe hotels in Austin, our individual hotel might not be a good fit for that because the person is clearly looking for a list of hotels. So kind of having that mindset too of, you know, while I'm sure you have a great property and you think it deserves this, you know, million search volume keyword, might not be the best fit. 
Yeah, one, I know it's not a huge deal. I know you asked what the biggest mis- SEO mistakes were, but one that bugs the crap out of me is when people don't do their header hierarchy properly. We mentioned it earlier, and, and people people will put in, you know an H3 to start their page just because it looks better. It and drives me nuts. It drives me crazy. This isn't about... This isn't about aesthetics. It's you know, it's it's for a crawler at that point. Or they'll so. have like their phone numbers in H two. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just 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 be smart about it. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it's right. Um, yeah. You H1, can change your. You but can you can make style, it look. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. it's a style sheet thing. That's that's lazy developers. Right. Is what yeah, that change, is. H ones, H twos, and H threes are not design elements. No. They're hierarchy elements. And if you want your phone number to be big, perfect place for schema. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. There's another. You know, put the phone tag around it. Yeah, I, I think those are all good. I, I agree with all those. I think for me, though, the biggest mistake people make with SEO is that they chase the algorithm. They're too concerned about what changes Google are making, Google or whoever the search engines are making, and they try to adjust and pivot every time there's a, a panda update or a penguin update. At the end of the day, if you want to rank well for search engines, produce great content for people not for search engines, and you're going to rank well. Look at your competition, see what content they're putting out there, and make sure you're doing a better job. If you're better than everyone else, you're sharing that on social media, you're earning links, people are engaging with your content, it doesn't matter what the latest penguin, panda, platypus update is, it doesn't matter because you're always going to rank well if you're serving your consumer. So where, Pete, where can they find you on the web? They can find me on Twitter at pdimeo. It's P-D-I-M-A-I-O. You can find me on Twitter at pfariska. It's P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. And you can find me not at my first initial last name because my last name is horrendous. <laughs> you can find me at Marketing Misha. That's at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And you can find me at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. And you can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us you know, what subjects you'd like us to talk about in future podcasts. Submit your questions about hotel marketing in general. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to get more reviews because that just helps spread the word and helps helps more people see this content that we're pushing out there to try to help hotel marketers. And again, you can get the show notes here, including Misha's blog and Phil's checklist. You know, it's, it's a great resource. Like I said, we use it internally or a version of it internally. You can download that right from the podcast, podcast notes, which are at fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 16. And you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Your haircut is hilarious. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. Who was it named that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the crap haircut. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm paranoid now. I'm like, fuck. <laughs>